Kansas anymore. Are you ready? No, I'm just getting warmed up. This task was appointed to you. I said I want the truth! I say we take off and nuke the entire site from Dodge that. Hello, and welcome back to the BBFC podcast. In our last episode of 2020, we wanted to look back over the last year at the BBFC, from classification decisions, significant cinema releases, and of course, the impact COVID has had throughout 2020. Today, I'm joined by our Chief Executive, David Austin, and Matt, our Senior Policy Officer. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Megan. Hello. Hello. You might remember Matt from our last lockdown podcast um, back in May where he talked very well about trolls. And David, I don't think you've been on the podcast for a while, so it's lovely to see you back. Yeah, it has been a long time. I can't remember when I was last time, actually, but it's good to be back. You're welcome anytime. Um, I thought we'd start the podcast with a subject that's impacted the whole world and with the BBFC being no exception. So in March, COVID had us all heading home and into lockdown. As everyone found themselves working and learning from home, we unsurprisingly saw that there was a massive rise in people's streaming content. What was the impact of lockdown on the BBFC, David? It was a really tough year as a result of COVID, probably the toughest in our 108 year history. You know, we're a not-for-profit regulator, we get no government money, so our income mirrors that of the film industry. And so we saw from March a huge drop-off in films showing in cinemas with cinemas closed. And so there was a huge drop off in films coming to us for classification. So a very, very challenging year. Having said that, um, we did continue our classification work throughout the year. We worked remotely. We practiced before the lockdown in, in anticipation of this happening. We practiced working from home. So we had half the organization working from home, half in the office, and then swapping around. So by the time lockdown came, we were, you know, pretty much a well-oiled machine and helped enormously by our uh, new platform Horizon. So it's a new viewing platform and submission platform. And a lot of our film customers were already using the platform before, before lockdown came. So it was kind of seamless in, in that respect. Um, and I'm really grateful for you know, all the BBFC staff for the work they did under you know, difficult circumstances to you know, help industry get their films to customers and get their videos to customers. And I'm also really grateful to customers to, you know, they agreed that we were able to watch their valuable content in our homes rather than at number three Soho Square. So that was a leap of faith from them, particularly our cinema customers. We had never watched theatrical films in our homes, but lockdown meant for the first time, if, if we were going to classify them, we, we did have to watch some of them in our homes. When lockdown was relaxed over the summer, we did come back into the office and we viewed theatrical films there and we went to some of our customers' offices and watch them and watch films in their cinemas. There are films like Tenet that I think we're going to be talking about a bit later, and most recently Wonder Woman 84. So I think everyone came together, the BBFC team and industry, and we, all, we were all in the same boat. So we, you know, we toughed it out together and we are looking forward to a, a better, a much better 2021. Definitely. And did we see a rise in streaming content? We did. We did. We saw more content coming to us on streaming services. We achieved a, a really important milestone with Netflix. So we've had a partnership with Netflix for almost 10 years now. And for the past four years, we've been working towards having 100% of the content that, fam- that British families view on Netflix having a BBFC age rating. And just last week, at the end of November, we achieved that, we achieved that goal. 
and um, we're really proud of our work with Netflix and that British families are going to have the, you know, be able to rely on trusted BBFC ratings and content advice across the whole of the Netflix platform. So although cinema industry had a bad year and we had a bad year in, you know, alongside our theatrical customers, streaming platforms had a, had a pretty good year. So we've talked a bit about classification. What else did the BBFC do in order to keep families engaged during the pandemic? Well, we, we pivoted all our outreach work to target people who were spending all their time at home, indoors, working, relaxing, homeschooling. Um, in May, shortly after the, you know, a couple of months after the first lockdown, we did some research uh, with YouGov that showed us that uh, nearly half of teens had seen content that they'd rather have avoided during lockdown. 47% had seen such content. We also packaged up all our education resources and made them available to parents who were homeschooling their children. We promoted some of our fun activities for younger children, such as Rated Trailer. We launched something that you should take a lot of credit for, Megan, as you did most of the work on this movie night with the BBFC. Perhaps you could say a few words about that since, it's, it's, since it was your initiative. Yeah, it feels weird um, talking about you know, <laughs> my own work, but um, the, the movie night, the BBFC packs are really great for families that um, are watching a film together at home and they have all of the information parents need about the film, including the ratings info, a bit of a synopsis and anything you'd need to be aware of. And then it's followed by fun activities for the kids. So, for example, we've just launched one for Christmas, which is about Klaus, which you can find on Netflix. And we've got some really fun activities. They can have a go at drawing the perfect gift uh, for a loved one. And we've also got some really nice discussion points at the end about what you've learned from the film and how, how it's made you feel. And we think that's really important for, for young people to have. Well, I just want to pause on movie night because I think you did a fantastic job. And there's lots of, of um, movie night packs on our website. So I'd encourage parents of younger children to, you know, go and take a look at them and download them and have some fun activities with their, with their children while watching some really good movies. Which movie pack is your favourite? I, I mean, I like the Star Wars one. I mean, my, my children are a bit too old for some of the activities, but, you know, we, we did watch Star Wars the, you know, during lockdown. To start, if you're if, you know, if a Star Wars fan, use, use that for the movie night with the BBC. So we also did um, uh, our very first watch along on Twitter and we live tweeted Edward Scissorhands. We, towards the end of lockdown, we asked children what feel-good films they were watching to cheer themselves up in, in this really, really difficult year. And the most popular film with young children to make themselves feel good during lockdown was Trolls, uh, the U-rated film, so suitable for the youngest children, followed by Frozen and The Boss Baby. All very uh, family-friendly films. I think um, they all have a quite positive overall message, which is maybe why they were so popular during what's been a really difficult year. Yeah, 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 that's absolutely right. Moving on to kind of the cinema releases we've had this year, um, and Matt, I'm going to come to you with a few of these. So it's been a slightly different year, as David mentioned, especially for cinemas and for big releases. So at the start of the year, it started off with films such as Jojo Rabbit, 1917, The Personal History of David Copperfield and Parasite. But after lockdown, we saw a substantial drop in films and it was only with the lifting of lockdown in the summer that we started seeing more releases such as Tenet, The Secret Garden and more recently, St Maud. So I thought we'd go back in time to January. It seems like quite a while away, Matt. But um, I wanted to talk about Jojo Rabbit in a bit more detail with you. So it was released to critical acclaim in January. Can you tell me a bit more about the film and how we classified it? Yeah, of course. So Jojo Rabbit does feel like quite some time ago now, but it's a satirical comedy drama written and directed by Taika Waititi. Set in Nazi Germany during World War II, it follows a young boy, Jojo, 
who's an ardent member of the Hitler Youth and a great admirer of Hitler himself to the extent that he has an imaginary friend played by Watiti who, who looks like Hitler. But then Jojo discovers that his mother, who's played by Scarlett Johansson, is harboring a young Jewish girl in their home. And he's forced to, to reckon with his Nazi beliefs and, and gradually comes to question and reject the ideology. As you say, Megan, the film was released in the UK uh, back in January, but we actually first saw it for advice all the way back in summer 2019. Advice Viewings, as listeners I'm sure will, will know, is a service that we offer the industry in which our compliance managers will watch a film ahead of its formal submission, perhaps sometimes in, in unfinished form, and then let the distributor know what rating it's likely to get so that they can bear that in mind if they're aiming for a particular classification. And in the case of Jojo Rabbit, the company was after a 12A and they were advised that that, that was the classification the film was likely to receive. And sure enough, that was confirmed when the film was formally submitted. When we do advice viewings, are they quite common or was it the nature of this film that perhaps made them want to see it in a bit more detail first? For for bigger releases, uh, they are quite common. So the studios will often, you know, they, they will be planning for a particular release if it's a film that they expect to be really big with families, they might not want to to go beyond a 12A, which would restrict the audience. So they, they just often they will want to check that, that they are on track for, for what they're after. And, and if they're, they're not, they might make certain changes and ask us for advice. And that's where the service comes in. So the short ratings info for Jojo Rabbit is quite an interesting one. Um, can you tell me a bit about it and what parents can take away from the ratings info? Absolutely. So short ratings info is provided to help give viewers and parents in particular information about why a film was given a particular rating. People will see it on cinema black cards or on the back of DVDs or now on Netflix as well. Uh, we also publish long ratings info, which is available on our website and app, which goes into a little more detail for those who need it. The short ratings info for Jojo Rabbit notes that the film was classified 12A for discrimination, violence, bloody images, sex references and strong language, which is quite a heady mix, sounds um, you know, quite robust and uh, is really up to the, the maximum length that we allow for short ratings info. Because as I say, it needs to fit on the black card, it needs to fit on the back of a DVD case. And I think that really reflects the uncommonly high number of, of category defining issues in the film. And Jojo was particularly interesting for us on the discrimination issue. It deals with quite a sensitive topic in quite a satirical and comedic way. Um, can you tell me more about that? Yes, so the story obviously occurs in the context of, of Nazi Germany and, and the Hitler Youth, in which uh, children like Jojo and his, his classmates are indoctrinated into Nazism, taught to adopt discriminatory views concerning Jewish people, they're taught anti-Semitic propaganda, uh, including characterizations of, of Jewish people as monstrous sort of creatures. And when you say it like that, it might not sound very 12A, but clearly the film has a, a really strong anti-discrimination message, which is conveyed through Jojo coming to question his beliefs through his friendship with Elsa, which is, who is the, the Jewish fugitive that his mother is, is hiding in their home. You mentioned about some of the, the images and the language, and a lot of this is mitigated by the humour. Is that important at the 12A category? Yeah, uh, and in Jojo Rabbit, the, the comic tone was, was particularly important as a mitigating factor in favour of, of the 12A rather than a, a more restrictive category. There's um, 
a lot of humor in the film. You have comic actors, everybody knows, like like Rebel Wilson, Stephen Merchant, and of course Taika Waititi himself as Jojo's imaginary friend. And I think the sort of the the broadness of the satire helps in in classification terms because it's delivered in such a way that it's likely to be understood by viewers aged 12 and above. They'll recognize that the beliefs that the, the Nazi characters have about Jewish people, for instance, are you know, utterly absurd and abhorrent and they'll go along with Jojo on this journey as he comes to, to realize this for himself and sort of reject that ideology. And just finally on this one, what advice would you have for parents who might want to watch this film with their children? Is there anything that they can maybe discuss afterwards or beforehand? Yeah, so we've mentioned Long Ratings Info, which goes into more detail than the short uh, about why the film was classified 12A. So I would advise parents to check that out if they are in any way unsure about whether or not their child will be able to, to handle the sort of issues that the film is dealing with. As the, the ratings info indicates, in addition to discrimination, there are scenes of violence, there are sex references, and there's infrequent strong language by which we mean the F word. While the film is a comedy, it is important to note that there are some upsetting scenes, including aftermath sites of public hangings and scenes that deal with a child's bereavement. So parents should be aware of that and they may consider watching the film themselves before showing it to their children or watching it with their children and, and as you say, Megan, having a conversation with them afterwards. We know from, from research we've done that lots of parents find films and TV shows really, really useful as springboards to discuss difficult subjects with their children and I think that Jojo Rabbit is a film that would be really good for you know sparking a conversation about discrimination anti-semitism in particular and you know, about the, the second world war and nazism. Um, so I'll move on now to another film that I think has been quite notable this year and that is Parasite. It's a South Korean black comedy thriller in which a family of four lie their way into working closely with an affluent family. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how we classified Parasite and the reasoning for the 15 classification? Yeah, so the reason for the 15 is uh, given in the, the ratings info, which is strong bloody violence, language, sex and sex references. Uh, there are scenes in which characters are stabbed or, or bludgeoned with heavy objects, resulting in uh, some bloody aftermath detail, uh, which exceeds the sort of detail you would expect in, in a 12A film. There's also strong language, uh, as we said, that generally means the, the F word, um, which can only be infrequent at 12A. It's, it's more frequent than that in Parasite. There's a sex scene and there are also strong verbal sex references as well. So uh, really firmly at the 15 level. So Parasite actually scooped up quite a lot of awards at the Oscars. It won Best Picture, I believe. What effect do you think this has had on the public's appetite for foreign language films? As you say, the, the film did fantastically well, not just you know, winning Best Picture at the Oscars, but also at the box office. And you know, it was really well received by audiences as well. I don't think I spoke to anyone who wasn't you know, really knocked out by it. So I'm sure it must have reached, you know, many people who, who normally wouldn't watch a subtitled film. And if they enjoyed it, you'd hope that they then go out and watch other subtitled films that they might not have considered before. So hopefully, you know, a, a really positive impact on in broadening the audience for foreign language films. Definitely. And following his Oscar win, uh, Bong Joon-ho, the director, has seen some of his earlier films get a re-release. What other films could a newly discovered fan of his watch? Well, I've, I've seen that um, Memories of Murder and his, his very first 
feature film Barking Dogs Never Bite have just been re-released on DVD and Blu-ray. In the case of Barking Dogs, I think we saw that for the first time this year. I don't think we'd ever classified it before. So for that release, we, we had it in and we watched it. So that's available now in the UK at last for people to check out. Mother is a fantastic one. Just make sure you're, you're watching the Bong Joon-ho one, not the Darren Aronofsky one. A bit confusing there. Or there's Snowpiercer, uh, which is an English language science fiction thriller starring Chris Evans, which is also well worth checking out and, and was also the basis for a Netflix series just recently as well, though I don't know if director Bong was involved in that one or not. I certainly won't want people to mix up their mothers. <laughs> it might, might be a, a different experience. <laughs> so moving on to the biggest release of this year and one that fell right in the middle of the pandemic Christopher Nolan's Tenet which after being delayed three times because of the pandemic was released on the 26th of August can you tell me a little bit about the film and how we classified it David sure sure I'll start by saying I was so happy to see Tenet coming out of the first lockdown things were starting to get back to normal and we'd had a shortage of big blockbuster films and Tenet was the first, so I was very excited when I went over to Warner Brothers to watch it. And I ended up watching it twice as part of the classification process because it was quite a, a borderline film between two categories. For those of you that haven't seen it, it's a sci-fi thriller in which a nameless man, the protagonist, I think he's described in the, in the, in the credits, is enlisted in an organisation to stop an evil plot involving futuristic technology. If you like sort of James Bond, Jason Bourne, it's very much in that kind of mould. But as any fan of Christopher Nolan knows, he likes to play around a little with time. So it's, you know, think Bond slash Bourne with a, a bit of time, flexibility, fluidity thrown in. It came in with a, a 12A request and we took a look at the film and we thought for the most part, the film was fine at 12A. It contains moderate violence and threat and infrequent strong language. As a matter of that means the F word. But it's on a par with, with kind of Bourne and Bond, that, that type of action, action, violence and threat. The, the scenes of violence were discreetly shot to minimise detail. But one scene in particular caused us pause for thought at the 12A category. And that's the scene in which the villain, played by Kenneth Branagh, attacks his wife quite brutally and during the, as the film goes on it's been building up to this and we've seen there's been a scene earlier where we saw him threaten her he took his belt off and put his cufflinks between the in the gaps of the belt and the holes of the belt to, to you know to make it extra painful but in that scene he doesn't actually go through with the the, the, the violence it's, there's a strong threat of violence but he doesn't go through with with the actual act of violence but then in this sequence he does and it was it's viscerally quite a strong scene of domestic abuse and we said to the distributor you can have this film you can have this film classified uncut at 15 but if you um, want the 12a then you'll need to cut a, a particular shot in which uh, Kenneth Brenner kicks his wife pretty hard while she's on the ground and we see her clutch herself in in real pain and that we just felt pu pushed that sequence over the line into the higher category shortly before classifying this film we carried out some research with the public uh, into domestic violence and how people respond to domestic abuse and um, all different types of domestic abuse in, in films and uh, we spoke to survivors of domestic abuse we spoke to focus groups of the general population, we spoke to expert bodies. And on the back of that research 
and on the back of research telling us that teenagers and other viewers are particularly concerned by scenarios and acts of violence that could happen to them um, we felt that it really just pushed pushed this particular sequence pushed the film into 15. so warner's on the back of that research on the back of our advice chose to cut the film to get a 12 by audience and it's it's a very minor cut it's it's a few seconds and with that cut we we felt that the film was absolutely fine at 12a we did highlight in our ratings info in addition to the moderate threats and moderate violence and, and, and strong language we did highlight domestic abuse one of the things that did come out of the research is that survivors of domestic abuse say it can be triggering to see domestic abuse in a film and even if it's not a category defining issue they would like to be forewarned about domestic abuse in a film so not just in this film but in, in other films you, you might see references to domestic abuse where it doesn't necessarily impact on the classification give it a higher classification but people do want to be warned about it because of the potential triggering effect so that's a long-winded way of saying that um, we classify tenet 12a for moderate violence threat domestic abuse and frequent strong language with less theatrical submissions coming into the bbfc and cinemas reopening over the summer period we saw lots of older films reclassified for theatrical release including the empire strikes back Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and a film that we're going to talk about now, uh, Flash Gordon. So Matt, what was the previous rating for Flash Gordon and why did it need to be reclassified? Well, when Flash Gordon was first classified back in 1980, we didn't even have the UPG 12, 15, 18 ratings that everybody knows today. So the film was classified A, which is an old certificate we used to use, which stood for advisory and, and sort of roughly translates as as PG, which came in in 1982. Obviously, since 1982, we've revised our classification guidelines a number of times. As listeners will know, we, we carry out research with the UK public every four or five years to check that the standards in our guidelines align with you know, parental expectations and, and societal standards generally. Uh, so things have moved on some way since 1980. So, and as we always reclassify a film according to our most recent guidelines, we had to look at Flash Gordon with fresh eyes. And in doing so, we came to the conclusion that for, for modern audiences, it's, it's much more appropriately rated 12A than PG. There are you know, scenes of violence in the film that, that go beyond what you'd expect at the lower category. These include a woman's bare back being whipped with the sight of, of lacerations appearing on her back and also a, a fight in which two men whip each other and sustain bloody wounds themselves. There's also moderate bad language, which we don't permit at PG under current guidelines, and um, some verbal sex references as well that sort of exceed what, what you would normally expect at PG. And when it was reclassified, we also had discrimination added to the ratings info. Why was this? Yeah, so Flash's arch nemesis, Ming the Merciless, is sort of coded as an East Asian character due to his hair and, and makeup but he's played by a Swedish actor in the film, he's played by Max von Sydow, which I don't think is something that would happen if this were a modern production, and, and we're, which is something we're, we're also aware that the viewers may find dubious, if not outright offensive. The character of Ming himself, of course, comes from the Flash Gordon comic strips from the 1930s and the, the serials. And let's just say that attitudes towards the acceptability of discriminatory racial stereotypes have moved on considerably since then, and, and rightly so, of course. Uh, so while the presentation of Ming in Flash Gordon, the 1980 film, isn't what we would consider a category-defining issue, we're sensitive 
to the, the potential it has to cause offence. So we've highlighted it in both the long and short ratings info so that audiences are aware that it's there and can make an informed decision about whether to watch the film themselves or to show it to their children. And you know, this, is, this is something that, that we have to, to bear in mind, you know, often when we see older films coming in for reclassification, films that you know, might contain discriminatory dis depictions or stereotypes that are not acceptable to modern audiences, uh, including films where discrimination you know, wasn't the work's intent, just a reflection of the period in, in which it was made. And this is an issue that we're you know, currently planning to explore more through research next year, uh, speaking to the public to, to check that they're happy in the ways that we're classifying such films and you know, the way that we classify issues of discrimination more generally. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing the results from that research. And Flash Gordon has some really iconic lines. I'm going to throw this out to both of you. What is your absolute favourite? <laughs> well, there's, there's one that comes to mind, uh, one particular line delivered by Brian Blessed. And um, to save myself the embarrassment of, of trying to do a Brian Blessed impression, I, I've got the clip here, so I'm just going to hit play. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive. There you go. That's the one. You can't beat that. Uh, that is my absolute favourite as well. What about you, David? Oh, it's going to be that one. I mean, when Matt said he was going to play a clip beforehand, I said, oh, it's going to be Gordon's alive. Gordon's alive. <laughs> Matt, we've got to hear your impression. I'm not doing it, but, but he's the man himself. Gordon's alive. Is he not, Lord? <laughs> and also, who can forget the the legendary soundtrack by Queen as well. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> that alone, really, I think. <laughs> I just want to pick up actually something Matt said about the research that we do every four to five years and set, that sets our standards. I'm often, I often get asked, you know, is there much of a difference between the guidelines, each, each iteration of the guidelines? And the answer is between each one, there's not a huge amount. There will often be a standout issue, and the last time the, the standout issue was sexual violence. We've tightened up how we classify sexual violence as a result. But if you go back to the late 1990s and compare society's attitudes then with what they are now, just 20 years later, and how our guidelines track those changes in public attitudes towards things like discrimination, sexuality, sex, language, all these issues, I think there's a fascinating piece of academic work to do there about how, you know, how the BBFCs track those changes. So if there's any listeners that are thinking of, perhaps university students thinking, what can I do my thesis on? Well, there's, there's one. And um, you know, <laughs> drop Megan a line and say, yeah, I, I, this is what I want to do for my thesis. And you know, we'll give you all the support that you, you need in terms of providing with the original research and the guidelines. So. Absolutely. And you can always email education at bbfc.co.uk if you need any support with any of your work at university. But we'd love to see some BBFC theses. I think that would be very interesting. Um, so some of the final questions, and this kind of links to the fact that cinemas are now opening again in some areas and we've begun classifying more content again. So what is your prediction for the cinema entertainment industry in 2021? Well, I guess streaming will continue and thrive, which is great. But what I really, really want, what I really, really want is cinemas to be fully reopened um, in 2021. I mean, we're, we're recording this podcast on the day that the first person in the world, uh, a British lady, got vaccinated against COVID-19. I think that's the start of the real fight back. So 
I'm looking forward to cinemas being fully reopened. I'm looking forward to seeing films like James Bond. I'm looking forward to the new film of June. As my colleagues know, one of my favourite films of all time is David Lynch's version of June, which not many people agree with me on, but I think it's a, it's a work of, of real artistry and beauty. But, so I'm looking forward to you know, cinemas reopening, seeing some really good films. I mean, Matt and I both joined the BBFC to do the same role. Matt joined as a compliance officer. I joined as an examiner, which is kind of the old fashioned word for, for compliance officer. And you know, Matt and I joined the BBFC because we love watching films and we love the cinema. So that is what my passionate wish for 2021 is a return to watching films on the big screen in the way that you know, we, we enjoyed a great deal before COVID-19. And to be honest, in that gap between the two lockdowns, where I know Matt went a number of times and I went a number of times to the cinema to watch some great films, I think films like St Maud, which I, I really enjoyed. And I know you enjoyed seeing a number of films, Matt. So that's my, my hope and my prediction. Absolutely with you there i think you know the the options for people to watch films in their home uh, particularly while the, the pandemic is ongoing is really important but on personally can't wait to get back looking forward to seeing wonder woman 84 which i know you've you've already seen david i hope it lives up to the other 83 um and <laughs> and yeah june looks fantastic as well so there's there's a lot next year coming to look forward to as well Definitely. Um, and what are the goals of the BBFC heading into the new year in terms of streaming services and subscription services well, online? Our goal is to, I mean, our mission, the reason we exist um, is to help families choose content that's right for them and their children and avoid content that isn't. And our, our mission applies wherever and however and whenever families view content, whether that be at the cinema and DVD on streaming services. So we're providing a brilliant service through Netflix, through our age ratings, and I'd, be, I'd love to provide the same service that we know families want. You know, more than 90% of people are saying, we want the same age ratings that we know from cinema and DVD to apply to streaming services. So given that, you know, that sort of marching orders from the UK public, I, I would hope that we can fulfil their wish to see trusted age ratings and content advice across all streaming platforms operating in the UK. That brings us to the end of our podcast. I'd like to say a huge thank you to David and Matt for joining me today. We really hope you enjoyed hearing all about the last year at the BBFC. And if you have any questions or would like to chat to us about the podcast, drop us a message on Twitter at BBFC or on Facebook. Alternatively, you can email us at podcast at bbfc.co.uk. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and we'll see you again in the new year. Thank you.